You're listening to the Podcast Detroit Network. Visit www.podcastdetroit.com for more information. Welcome to Smart Sex, Smart Love. We're talking about sex goes beyond the taboos and talking about love goes beyond the honeymoon. I'm Dr. Joe Court. Thanks for tuning in. Welcome to another episode of Smart Sex, Smart Love. I hope you're all staying safe and well during quarantine. This week, I'm looking at how to prioritize sexy self-care time as a parent with Dr. Megan Fleming. Dr. Megan is a nationally recognized certified sex and relationships expert with over 20 years of experience working with individuals and couples to discover what's getting in their way. Megan teaches them skills and strategies to get the sex and relationships they really want. As the resident sex expert of the Girl Boner podcast, Megan believes committing to our sexual and sensual being is what allows us to thrive and truly feel fully alive. As she says, sexuality is vitality, but finding time for self-care and be sexually awakened as a parent is tough. So let's talk about how parents can prioritize themselves more. Welcome, Megan. Joe, it's so great to be here. Thanks for having me. Oh, and it's so timely, too. I mean, we were having you anyways. You've been booked for months, and now we're, we're um, in quarantine with COVID, and people are asking, what do we do with the kids or about the kids and how to handle all that? And I wonder if you could start with that since that's where, that's where we're at right now. Sure. I mean, I think, um, and we'll certainly get into that, I think self-care is challenging even under the best of times. Um, and these are sort of unprecedented times. And so, first of all, I think it starts with self-compassion, right? That um, that it can be just physically and emotionally exhausting uh, because we're juggling uh, in some ways the same roles, but all those roles at the same time, you know, for parents who are working, who are now working at home, also trying to navigate their kids' schedules. And for some, like uh, with younger children, sort of homeschooling takes it to a whole nother level because those kids don't yet have the uh, skills and the technology that, that the teachers are counting on the parents to help out with. So um, I think the first thing for people to do is to, you know, put, give a big, themselves a big pat on the back, um, recognizing that these really are demanding times. But as I say that now more than ever, we sort of say self-care is non-negotiable. Um, there's a reason they tell you to put the oxygen mask on yourself first on an airplane. Mm, I love that biggest, one. Exactly. The biggest message for anybody listening is it may at times feel counterintuitive because we all have a way of uh, putting our kids first or putting ourselves last or at the end of our to-do list that, you know, often never get done. But the reality is when we resource ourselves, right, when we take time for that self-care, we actually have more to give. That's awesome. And um, and so uh, there's these memes going around on Facebook, right, where uh, these homeschooling that one kid was expelled from school and the teacher was fired for drinking on the job. Right? And it's a joke because it's the mother and the, of the of the kids. What, what, what are parents saying about all this? How is it impacting them? Well, I think, you know, I see, um, you know, we often see different reactions. So some of the reactions that I see are just the overwhelm. I've had a, a client who has gone upstate and her daughter is uh, a Montessori school and the parent, because of her own anxiety, um, was recognizing that her daughter was picking up on that. And so she was just finding that she needed to take a break from school. Um, others are finding that um, it's an opportunity to be more acquainted, right, with what their kids are learning and they're becoming more engaged. So 
I think the reactions are really individual and different, but the most important thing I can say is we are all our own experts. So check in with yourself and realizing, you know, like in the case of my client with her level of anxiety, it was in a ne- having a negative impact on her daughter. So such that she needed to create a kind of pattern interrupt, right. And not just continue to dig in and do the same old thing that wasn't working. I think we just have to take a step back and look at what feels like it is and isn't working. And also where can we ask for help? Whether it's our partner, um, maybe you have an older child, um, maybe it's a cousin or an aunt or uncle or somebody, you know, the great thing about our technology is we can reach out to um, family and friends and connect. So I think it's really important that people know how to reach out and ask for help. Yeah. Is that, so I was going to ask you, why is self-care so challenging for parents? Is that one of the reasons? Yeah. I mean, I think one is we're sort of raised in a very, at least in the U S a very individualistic, um, you know, culture that values our independence. That being said, I also think that it looks is often for women, but even so for men, you know, we're sort of, you know, prizing the role of caretaker and, you know, often the idea of self-care is considered selfish, right? And it's really to distinguish the fact that it's the opposite. It's really when we take that time that everybody benefits because when we're running on empty, we all know this in our nervous system, right? We're going to be coming from a more reactive I sort of call it, uh, you know, worst or not best part of self, right? And so this is why even though it's challenging, it's non-negotiable because when we don't take care of ourselves, we don't have the access to the best parts of ourselves to, to do the work that we want to be doing. This is such good information, even if it's not about parenting, like even as a therapist, right? I think to my, and I just as a partner to my own um, husband, that we need to be able to take care of ourselves first. I love that. I love that you use the, the airplane because I think, I, I don't know why someone hasn't written a book with the name, put your mask on first before assisting others. It's a great idea. It's an understanding that we can only help others if we take care of ourselves. And that's what you're saying. Absolutely. In fact, we sort of know it's sort of the antidote to burnout. Uh, Emily and Amanda Nagoski, you know, their book, Burnout, talks about um, how when we don't take care of ourselves, that stress cycle really leads to disease and, um, and burnout. And so I think it's imperative that we see the prevention piece. Um, and again, as therapists, the other thing that's also very real is compassion fatigue. And so when you're not nurturing yourself or taking care of yourself, you're really putting yourself in, in some ways, then ultimately your clients at risk because, you know, we're, we're only human. Yeah, it's so true. Say the name of that book again, because I want to get it. It's called Burnout by um, Emily Nagoski, who wrote uh, Come As You Are. She wrote this book with her sister, Amanda. Oh, I didn't even know that. Oh. Oh, yeah. It's fantastic. Okay, that's great. Um, can you talk about generational patterns of neglect that get to stop with you? Yeah, I mean, I think that we all have an opportunity to recognize, again, I'm not sure how each of us was raised because we all did or didn't get certain things, but it's not uncommon if you didn't have a role model, right, for a mother or father who had good self-care or had a work-life balance, that chances are, you know, even though they were well-intentioned, you may have experienced some neglect. It may not be really good at or had a good role model knowing how to take care of yourself. And so um, I love this idea that, you know, with any of these uh, generational patterns um, that are unhealthy, like, you know, alcoholism and in this case, self-neglect or not taking good care of oneself, you get to sort of say the buck stops here, right? And it's an opportunity to, um, 
change that it no longer gets handed down, but also you get to model for your own children that level of self-care that you want them to have for themselves and to instill in their families. Right. And I didn't ask that question well. So I think what, what you're saying is there are generational patterns of neglect that get to stop with you. And and you're speaking my language as a therapist because most people are looking back at what happened, you know, abuse, um, you know, in some way or uh, physical abuse, verbal abuse, but nobody really is looking at what didn't happen, the neglect, what should have happened. And, exactly. and that's what you're talking about. Absolutely. And, beca- and that when you, you know, because again, your parents have been incredibly busy, had, you know, five kids, you know, under the age of four or something like that, you know, they were probably doing as we often are the best that they can, but that it doesn't change your childhood experience, right? That the feeling of neglect or how it can impact self-esteem, self-confidence. And, you know, when you don't have a good sense of your own self-worth, these are things that I find then is an additional challenge to knowing how to, to do self-care, much less prioritize it. Yes. And can you also talk about, I know you speak a lot about the intersection of self-care and pleasure. What do you mean by that? Well, I think, again, we sort of say that self-care is non-negotiable, but I think pleasure is just sort of up-leveling it. It's sort of like living a sensual life kind of blows the socks off of the idea of, you know, the role of self-care. And uh, because pleasure, if you think about it, I mean, both being sex therapists, I'm like always the, you know, instead of the apple a day, it's the orgasm a day, right? That orgasm releases oxytocin, it's dopamine, like it's stress relieving. There's so many amazing things about it. Um, And so again, when we focus on big and small things that give us pleasure, everything from, you know, enjoying the sun soaking on your skin to savoring uh, your favorite piece of chocolate. It's, these are practices that really uh, recharge and refuel us. And I think, again, through the pleasure aspect, it really connects us to our sense of vitality. I love that you're including, and of course you would because you're a sex therapist, but um, you're including the, the sexual pleasure because a lot of people don't talk about that uh, as a form of um, rejuvenating themselves as a parent, right? Absolutely. And I think it's sort of, again, when you live a pleasurable life, it's like you can have a daily experience and you just, you know, up-level it a little bit. So maybe it's, you know, your hot bath and you add some aromatherapy or Epsom salt. Like it doesn't take much to, you know, realize that even daily experiences can be ones that you can infuse a bit of pleasure. And I think, again, when it comes to as sex therapists and sexuality, you know, when we're sort of, I sort of say it's like keeping your inner sexy pilot light on, right? When we can simmer, right, in our sense of sensuality or pleasure, you know, it's no longer necessarily thinking about how to get turned on for sex because you're already living a turned on life. Your inner sexy, pi- what did you call it? Pilot light. Your I inner love sexy that. Pilot light. I love that. Perfect. So given that, um, can you talk about your free nine day pleasure challenge? I'm sure it includes some of that. Sure. Um, so anybody who's interested in my nine day pleasure challenge, you can go to my website, which is greatlifegreatsex.com and it's forward slash pleasure. Um, and it really is sort of nine days. It's an email that is, um, each day, which with sort of simple, practical, um, sort of their pleasure prompts. And it's this idea that prioritizing pleasure every day and, you know, it doesn't take a lot of time. It doesn't cost a lot of money. And if there's one thing I've seen doing this 20 years, so many people have blocks, right, to knowing how to receive pleasure or allowing pleasure. And so um, this is a great challenge for anybody who definitely wants to welcome more pleasure in their life. 
I am definitely going to do that because, um, you know, for me, I just think we all we all need it, especially as therapists, especially around COVID. You know, this quarantine time that you know, just finding little ways to to pleasure yourself, not just sexually, but anyway, uh, is important. And what I also love about this whole thing you're talking about is, you know, in the sex, uh, or in actually in the psychotherapy world, it's all about sexual abuse, sexual uh, acting out, sexual trauma. And we don't talk about pleasure. And you're not afraid to talk about it, are you? Absolutely not. Because, again, I think it's a piece that's missing. And, you know, it's interesting because especially in this time of COVID, um, I was on another podcast, which is coming out about pleasure and it's launching. And, you know, she's wondering, like, is this a time? Like, and Sarah Perel has actually got her series going on right now, you know, The Art of Us. And her last week is, is there room for pleasure in the midst of crisis? Which I think is just perfect because... Um, again, we're all in that discussion and recognizing that even in my mind, especially in the midst of a crisis, pleasure really is, uh, it's a pleasure principle, right? That uh, we absolutely need to be prioritizing because it really is sort of the ultimate self-care. Yeah. And I think what happens is hard. I fear, I'm hearing people and I'm struggling with it is uh, so much pleasure to comfort yourself, but but doing it in a way that doesn't harm yourself, like gaining too much weight or drinking too much or whatever, right? I mean, that, those are hard balances. Absolutely. But I think it's interesting as you say that because often when we think about pleasure, we tend to go to the hedonistic side, right? Oh, yeah. Whether it's sexual or eating or drinking, you know, sort of this um, <laughs> ex- excess, right? And so, again, I think these are how culturally it's almost like there's shame, um, just as it is around sex, but also around pleasure, that it doesn't equal hedonistic, right? It can be, as I said, enjoying the sunset or, you know, favoring your favorite uh, glass of wine. Thank you for catching that. That's so good. That's so important. I never thought about those two things being uh, fused in our culture, but they are. What Can you speak to what your thoughts are, why we're beginning to see more focus on pleasure? Um, it, it, like it's the focus of World Sexual Health Day this year, pleasure matters. Like why? why is it coming up so much now? Well, first of all, I'm just sort of excited that it is sort of the theme this year of World Sexual Health Day um, because, you know, pleasure does matter. And the fact that they are um, seeing, the, you know, through the World Association of Sexual Health, that this is sort of one of the principles, right, that, you know, even as we define sexual health, the possibility of pleasure is even in the definition. And so um, I think we're seeing more of it because, um, you know, it, it, it's, I think, a growth in a sense of this becoming the role of self-care sort of becoming very much in our vernacular vocabulary. Like people have practices or, you know, like it's a yoga practice or an exercise. And there used to be, I think, a lot of stigma and shame, even in, you know, taking time for um, a wellness routine. And I think that as that has become normative and has gained acceptance, this is just sort of the natural perfect extension to that, which is really focusing on the pleasure. Um, and I think, you know, interestingly enough, uh, Gwen Paltrow just did her group um, series, and the third episode is with Betty Dobson, whom I'm sure we both know and love, uh, we mm-hmm. her the mother of mas- masturbation. And, um, you know, again, the focus of the episode is all on pleasure, including pleasure for one. And so um, I just think that, you know, now more than ever, culturally, we're sort of ready for these messages. Yeah, so for people who don't know, Betty Dobson, uh, she wrote a book many, many years ago. Is it called Pleasure for One? Was that what it was called? Sex for One. Oh, Sex for sex One. For and one. it's all about, yeah, Sex for One. That's why you called her mother, uh, the mother of masturbation. And she wasn't <laughs> afraid to talk about that. And, 
you know, I feel like I really feel like in the midst of crisis, and this is a horrible crisis we're going through, good things do come from from these kinds of things. The AIDS crisis in the 80s, I remember as a gay man, was so freaking horrible. But I remember thinking, even as we were going through it, we were in the media all the time. People were coming into our homes. They were going into our hospital beds. They were seeing gay people all the time, lesbians helping. And I really believe that pushed us to a more acceptance that we're real people and that we really care about ourselves, that we have real lives. And I feel like with this, this may push us, well, first of all, toward pleasuring ourselves because being sexual with yourself is the safest way to get through COVID. But also, I'm also thinking just telehealth. In the in the mental health field, telehealth has been like this um, hedonistic thing that you kind of mentioned where, oh my God, you're doing telehealth. That's so anti-therapy. No, it isn't. It's very helpful to many clients. And now we're going to see that pushed forward because of quarantine. Absolutely. You know, we're both sort of a background at Imago. One of the expressions is, you know, the crisis is the opportunity. And I'm talking, you know, to parents and clients all the time around that, um, you know, as we're sort of cocooning and maybe thinking of it as cocooning versus quarantining, that, you know, we get the opportunity to go in and really figure out what matters and what we're going to prioritize. And essentially, when we come out, right, we're going to be the butterfly, right? What is it that we, this is a perfect time to develop skills and habits um, that we haven't had the time or energy to develop. And as you said, with technology, we have access to sort of, you know, the best teachers, whether it's through books or podcasts or uh, YouTube, and really encouraging people to not just Netflix this time away, Right. Because um, yes. sure, it's great to catch up on a show and we all need, you know, some chill time to decompress after a stressful day. But it really is, I think, for me anyway, highlighting there are real growth opportunities here. So what would you say to someone who says, OK, I've done all my self-pleasuring, all my self-care, and I'm still really finding it hard to be around my kid who's home 24-7 now? What would you say to that parent? Well, I would say that. Um, First of all, it's great that they have already done what they feel like, you know, they've prioritized all those things. But I think they have to be honest with themselves. And if that's the case, listen, I don't know, you know, I'm still in New York City. And so um, we're all, you know, it's an apartment, one floor. So fortunately, there are different rooms. But, you know, many people uh, at least have different rooms uh, or different floors. And I think really this is an incredibly important piece, which is schedules and structure, you know. And so... Um, whether your child has some time, they're FaceTiming with friends, or again, it's the homeschooling piece, but there really should be breaks that you're not really on top of each other 24-7. Because understandably, you know, even with our partners, right, sometimes, you know, we need some space and distance, and that's part of the recharging, actually. And so I think part of it is recognizing with realistic expectations, you know, it kind of makes sense if you're 24-7 something about that isn't working, that becomes the red flag. You need to pivot. And then you really get to decide and working depending on the age of your children, you know, whether you need to be collaborative with them or just more directive, uh, you know, being the parent that we're going to make the shift in the schedule and we're going to experiment and see how it works for everybody. Mm, That makes sense. A lot of sense. Dr. Megan, what else would you add that we haven't talked about that you want to make sure people hear uh, in terms of sexy self-care time and uh, being a parent? Well, again, going back to what we said, I think it's that even in a time of crisis, because some people might feel that, you know, 
when this is over, then I'll take care of myself. We sort of call it the when then. Um, it's to realize, you know, there is no time like the present. And as we said earlier, it is really about the putting the oxygen mask on yourself so that you really do have more to give. Um, and I think that when and if any parent listening is struggling with that, um, whether because of shame or guilt um, or overwhelm, as you said, is a perfect time to be reaching out for help, whether it's help on the domestic front and getting you know, a little bit hands-on um, through a partner or online family and friends, but also from a mental health perspective, if anybody is struggling or challenged right, to see the value or prior- prioritize it, because again, that's the role of my nine-day pleasure challenge. If you actually do the work, you will feel the difference and it will be self-reinforcing. It'll be the thing you, of course, want to do. But you first have to, I mean, how many times do people say, I'm going to diet or they make a decision, okay, I'm going to prioritize pleasure or self-care and they don't do it, right? So it's really to highlight there's a difference between making a decision and really being committed. And so I know when people are committed, they will absolutely feel the value um, of doing this work for themselves and how it enhances their lives and their relationships. But as I said, when if anybody's struggling for whatever reason, because there are many reasons that always make complete sense, it's to realize there is health, mental health resources available. Well, I love that you offer this pathway. I'm gonna um, cite the. I'm gonna go to it as soon as we hang up. Greatlifegreatsex.com forward slash pleasure. How else can other people find you? Um, well, again. That is my website, so you can learn more about me and maybe how to work with me, as well as every week there's uh, August McLaughlin has the Girl Boner podcast. And so every week, um, if you want to submit a question that you have, a relationship or sex question, I'm answering that question under sort of a segment called hashtag Ask Dr. Megan. So if you'd like me to answer a question, definitely reach out. And um, there's a contact sheet if you look for Girl Boner podcast. Girl Boner Podcast. I love the name. Thank you so much. I love all this information. Um, I just want to thank you, Dr. Megan. And if you enjoyed my show, please don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe. And also follow me at Instagram and on Twitter at Dr. Joe Court. I'll see you next time. Take care and be safe. Thanks for listening to this episode of Smart Sex, Smart Love. I'm Dr. Joe Court, and you can find me on JoeCourt.com. That's J-O-E-K-O-R-T.com. See you next time.